Hello, folks. This is your host, Dan Delamarski, and this is the 24th episode of the Work Item Podcast. Building communities is hard. Building developer communities is even harder. There are just so many options out there. Today, I'm talking to Jess Lee, the co-founder of Forum and Dev.2, a friendly developer community that prides itself in a slightly different approach to fostering a healthy model of interaction between its members. Enjoy the show. All right. Hello, everyone. And this is another episode of the Work Item Podcast. And following our streak of excellent guests, today we have Jess Lee. Welcome, Jess. Hey, everyone. Hey, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, excellent. So, Jess, why don't you tell us more about what you do? Uh, I know that I uh, followed you on Twitter for some time, and I know what you do, but I know that our audience is very diverse and broad, so I'd love to learn more from kind of Jess in your own words. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I am one of the co-founders of Forum, and Forum is the open source software that powers communities like the dev community and the code newbie community and a bunch of others. Um, and uh, you know, we've been working on this essentially since 2017. Uh, before hey, before that, it was a bit of a side project, but we've been full time on it um, since since 2017. And it uh, has it started off as a community just for developers, like the Dev community. But now we are focused on growing Forum to enable other community creators to build their communities with our open source software. And I love the work that you're doing with dev.to. Uh, and I know that some of my colleagues at Microsoft were always referring to it as one of the examples of how to do community right. So uh, we'll get to that in our podcast as well. But I want to start a little bit with your career. So you have uh, a very rich background. You have background in music publishing. You have background in marketing, business analysis. You've been a product manager. How did it all lead to where you are today? Rich is a very kind way of putting it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I studied music in college, which is how I ultimately end up working in music publishing. Um, but you sort of quickly get thrown into that world. And I, I realized that that industry really wasn't for me. It kind of took away all the passion that I had for music, like knowing how the sausage got made. I uh, ultimately ended up working for a... Um, like a temp agency actually. And I got placed at a startup and that's where I did the uh, like business analysis type of work. But while I was at that startup, I realized that developers really only folks treated as first-class citizens there. And uh, that sort of led me to be like, oh, like I want to be a developer. So I ended up enrolling in a bootcamp, learn how to code. Um, but another part of my whole like career dilemma at that point in time was wanting to really work for an organiza organization that I believed in, you know, like the music industry left me kind of jaded. Ultimately, I found a nonprofit that I, uh, that was um, empowering young people to take social action. And I, I really was excited by their mission, but they didn't have any developer roles open there. And so that um, put me on that product manager route. And then, uh, in many ways, it probably gave me that like capacity to hack away on nights and weekends on Dev2. So yeah, that's, I think, the briefest way of describing my eclectic background. It's a very, I still stand by the fact that it's a very rich background, just purely <laughs> because you had this wealth of experiences that you get from these different roles. Did you have a career map, if you will, or, you know, once you decided that music is not for you, just kind of draw out of here's the things that I want to do long-term, or is it more of just kind of, I'm open to opportunities and this was one of those opportunities? Uh, the latter is definitely spot on. So we actually, um, we have a set of values and principles at Forum and our principles are meant to guide our day-to-day. -day. And one of them is to plan for opportunism. Um, I think that resonates with all three. We have three founders, um, Ben and Peter are my co-founders, but I think that resonates with all three of us. Um, and it's sort of a good example of that. Um, you know, I think we all probably have like a loose plan of what we envision, um, but then just being able to, to say yes to opportunities. And that's sort of always been my mindset. So I'm curious now, you call out principles. 
And we've heard that recently in one of our recent episodes that we recorded with our friend Charlie Kindle, who was uh, a VP at some other companies. He also emphasized on how important it is that an organization has principles. How has that worked for you? Why was it important to have principles instead of just kind of, hey, we have this product, we're gonna ship this product, that's our goal? I think what's actually been most helpful for our team um, by creating these set of principles is to have this shared language. So another one that we use pretty commonly um, across, across the company is closing the loop. And we apply that to how we communicate with one another. We're a, you know, async, fully remote company distributed across, I think, eight different time zones right now. And so, you know, we want to make sure that when we communicate, we close the loop with our team members, we close the loop with our community members, and also with our open source contributors, like, you know, even our, like, bounty hunters, we want to make sure we close the loop with them, too. Um, But then, like, if we think about it from the product perspective, and this was probably a lot more applicable when we, when you're first building a product where, like, anything you add is kind of a value add at that point, but being deliberate of, like, whether or not we're going to continue with a feature um, or if we're going to, you know, like deliberately stop iterating. So we sort of try and close the loop um, in that product sense as well. So something that I'm actually really interested to hear more about is you mentioned that your company is fully remote. And mm-hmm. through the past year, a lot of companies were kind of forced into getting in this mode of operation where we can go to the office. We are no longer commuting to our cubicles or open spaces. How has the past year changed for your own company? So we were definitely one of the lucky ones in this situation. Um, The fact that we were already equipped to be remote made a huge difference. You know, we weren't scrambling to buy like laptops or like desks for team members to help them create, you know, ad hoc workspaces. We had all that in place already. So we're we're so lucky that that was the case for us. but of course, with there's just like a huge mental toll um, that I think the world is sharing right now that that we're in. And so the biggest change was just like really ensuring that like our team members knew that they could take the time that they needed to care for their like mental health, to care for the people in their lives um, and to just make it clear that like we're not in normal times right now and that's okay and that's the messaging like we're continuing to share with the with the team as we continue on you know like vaccines are rolling out but it's still going to be quite some time before things are normalized and if anything i feel like right now is actually has been like another sort of time of like people feeling a bit more burnt out um now that we're like you know several weeks into the new year and i people got some maybe got some rest during the holidays but um kind of feeling like you know it's it's been a long time like we're like the US is hitting that you know one year mark where a lot of places went into uh lockdown and so in terms of fostering this healthy internal culture making sure that folks don't burn out and making sure that everyone is successful and still delivers how do you structure your communications or how do you structure your approach to work to make sure that it's a it's a healthy environment where folks thrive instead of adding another stressful thing through the stress that we see around us yeah that's um that's a good question something we're always iterating on i think the biggest change we made recently was creating an internal forum for our team to use um so like i mentioned Forum is just software that you can use to build communities. So if you look at Dev, that is an example of a forum. Um, But what we did was create a private version of that for our team. And that really enabled us to communicate just much more asynchronously in the way that Slack couldn't offer. Um, So I think giving folks that peace of mind, like, hey, if I miss a day, if I miss this meeting, like all the information will be captured in the team forum. Um, and I won't have to, you know, spend the time endlessly scrolling within Slack. So yeah, I'd say Slack and for our internal forum is how we've been communicating primarily. But we also manage all of our projects through GitHub for both technical and non-technical work. So that's sort of our third place that we call home. Um, and then also just our internal, just general documentation. You know, the for the company forum is more for. You know, we'll have just like random topics in there from like water cooler stuff, but also just like announcements. So it's more of like an internal memo message board versus like, you know, documentation for anything that changes where people need that information um, yeah, to reference. How do you deal with uh, Zoom fatigue? For me personally, I know that's one of the big things that every meeting is in a video and you're just like all day 
And I know that some folks treat it as, you know, well, we're in video, so it's kind of like we are in person, but not really. What yeah. was that experience oh, for you man. like? <laughs> <laughs> I cannot, you know, like I, I'm on Zoom quite a bit. Um, and I can't do any like socializing on Zoom, you know, with like friends and family. I'm like, I just, I can't like Zoom is fully for work for me. So something we did uh, that I actually think we did before the pandemic, we have no meeting Mondays. And so, oh, sorry, we have no meeting Fridays. And so this is the only Zoom call I'm having today. Well, we're not on Zoom, but this is the only video call that I'm having today. And it's really nice. So like Fridays, um, you can you can expect to you know get that heads down time that you want or duck out early if you need to um but at the very least um you should not be having any meetings so that's one way we've just reduced meetings um and this is a small thing that we've done but i love it and wish more folks would adopt it but we only do 25 or 50 minute meetings um so this way you're guaranteed to have that buffer time that you need to like take a bio break or, um, you know, grab some water, um, you know, close your eyes for a second before you have to be overstimulated by a group of squares and, you know, like talking at you. Um, so I, I'd say that we're, we try really hard to reduce meetings and also, you know, like also because we are uh, remotely distributed, it's really hard and to get folks like on a meeting. Yeah. You know, like, you know, it's, we have our all hands, uh, where everyone, well, everyone on the team gathers, but we rotate it through three different time zones. So we don't actually get everyone on the team because that's impossible. If we did that, you know, someone will be up at 6 a.m. and another person will be up at like, you know, 12 a.m., which is totally unreasonable. So just by being spread out globally like this, um, we we just, we're like pretty anti-meeting. Yeah, and it's especially a challenge when... You have different time zones as you very astutely called out because I had the experience of working with a team in China and we always mm -hmm. have to align, you know, the 5 p.m. for us. It's the start of day for yep. them. And having this having this balance of when you actually have meetings, when you can just send a doc and have people just comment yeah. on the doc on their time. Nobody needs to get up at 6 a.m. to make sure that they can join that one final review. And yeah. It, it, it's one of those things where I I love your outline of how you're fostering the culture. And I want to take a step back and talk a little bit more about your personal career. What stood out to me is you were talking about kind of education in the musical field. Then you went through a boot camp. And it goes counter to one of the very common tropes or narratives where it's, you know, you've determine your passion in college and then pursue it like no matter what through your entire life. So you took a turn that is not only, I want to say non-traditional in a sense, but it's very unique in that you went from music to computers. What was that journey like for you, right? Like th that must be a pretty hard decision to make when you're saying, you know what? I know that I've been pursuing education in field X and now I'm jumping into field Y. Yeah, I mean, I think I was at a time in my life where just any change was good. So it wasn't so scary as it was exciting. Um, and I think, you know, living in New York City, I was excited for a future where I didn't have to like juggle three different jobs. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I'd say it was mostly exciting. But um, I will also add that one of my co-founders, Peter, I think encapsulate, uh, encapsulates a lot more of what you were describing. He is a serial entrepreneur, um, started his own business in college, you know, um, pivoted a few times and ultimately landed up, you know, co-founding Forum uh, together. And so like that, that background has been part of the recipe, I think, for our success. Um, but I, I do think, you know, having this non-traditional background offers another perspective. I, I didn't even know what a startup was six years ago. Um, so it's it's been, yeah, it's been a crazy journey, but it's been a lot of fun. So given the switch to a completely new field, what's your approach to learning new things? Now I'm curious because this is one of those things that different people approach it differently and there's no single recipe. But when it comes to learning, say, a programming language or a framework. And I know I've encountered that myself where starting from scratch is hard. You know, when you know nothing about the field, and I often find myself in a position where I know absolutely nothing about, say, machine learning or AI. And then I start kind of going through the process, going through the motions. What's your approach? How, how do you learn new things? 
Yeah, um, that's a really good question. I, for for coding specifically, there well, there were just so many resources online that you can kind of jump right in. And I, the more interactive things definitely stuck out to me initially. Um, and also, like I always um, sort of played around on the uh, on the internet, like you know, as a kid, like tweaking like Live Journal or Zanga themes and all of that um, was all all considered fun. And so it was cool to see that kind of be a career path. Um, but I'd say in general, and I don't know if this is advice I would give, but um, I tend to learn by trial and error. And that's very possible when you're coding, you know, there's this instant gratification. And it's actually quite similar to when you're learning how to play an instrument. Um, it's like you either get it right, or you get it wrong. And you can kind of like keep doing it. There's like interpretations of how you approach or play certain things or find certain solutions. The reason I don't know if I like advise that is because I probably could have spent a lot more time like reading through documentation when I first started learning how to code um, and like really trying to like grok the fundamentals. Um, but, uh, you know, we do live in a culture of instant gratification. And so it was a lot easier to go down like this trial and error route. It actually resonates because I learned exactly the same way. To me, it's easier to try it out, fiddle yeah. with the IDE and see what comes out instead of, oh, I'll spend, you know, a couple hours reading docs and tutorials. And so right. like, I'll just, I'll just, you know, Google it or Google it with Bing to see yeah. <laughs> what actually needs to come out. Yeah, no, one of those things that I, I use the analogy when I tell people that it's it's like asking how to learn guitar. You can read a book on how to do it, but unless you actually practice it, you will never know, right? So you can totally. read a lot of tutorials, blog posts. Uh, what are your favorite resources to learn? And I know dev.to or the practical dev, the dev community is one of them. What else? Where, where do you go to learn? So I would recommend checking out the Code Newbie podcast to, to you know, if you're starting your co coding journey, we actually just launched a Code Newbie forum where the content there, while it's similar to dev and like layout, the content's really, really fr like extra friendly for early career developers, people who are learning or just any, like, you know, a seasoned developer that might be learning something new, um, like you when you're talking about machine learning. So those, I would say those are two resources and we're actually in the process of launching um, the Code Newbie Challenge, where we challenge you to, you know, get your first job in software engineering, um, to blog more about software engineering, um, or to just learn how to code. So there's a lot of things there that you can look into. Otherwise, it you know, they've made it so, so much more fun to learn how to code, even in the last five years. Um, I know that Twitch has this Twilio Quest game that a lot of people have raved about that seems really fun and supportive um, if you're just starting out and um, it's not like focused on their API or anything like that, but um, back, like back to the fundamentals there. And even folks that learn how to code with uh, Minecraft, that was new to yeah. me too. And like seeing this kind of fun experience where when I was growing up, I certainly did not have video games in which I can say, you know what, mom and dad, I'm actually learning how to code. So let me play this for hours and hours on end. So we're definitely evolving that. And I actually want to switch gears. And this is a nice segue into community work. You've co-founded dev.to. What was the motivation behind that effort? What inspired you to say that we need a whole new community? Because you take a very unique approach that is not Stack Overflow, it is not your typical forum. What was that for you? Yeah, so um, upon graduating from the boot camp, what they don't tell you <laughs> when you like churn out is just how lonely it can be afterwards. You know, you're in this boot camp, you talk to the same people every single day, you have teachers um, and just lots of resources, a, a Slack channel, and then all of a sudden you're just like on an island by yourself. And so when I first graduated, I didn't know how to stay up to date with the industry. I didn't know how to meet other people. Um, and that's when I met my other co-founder, Ben, who I don't think I've mentioned yet. But he, despite not being like a bootcamp grad, he's actually self-taught, but had been working as a developer. He also felt the same way. And so it really came to the, you know, came down to like, is Reddit as best as it gets here? Like, because it, I, I didn't really feel comfortable posting there. I didn't feel comfortable asking questions on Stack Overflow because I felt like I would get shut down. When I was at the bootcamp, our instructors actually told us to create like a fake dummy account on Stack Overflow if we had questions, like in case we got shut, got shut down so that it wasn't associated with our like actual professional profiles. And I was like, okay, like, but is this like, is this the world that I'm in right now? Um, 
and sharing these feelings with Ben, learning that he felt the same way was I think the impetus for this whole thing. And, and with Ben, he was actually already fostering a community online through Twitter, um, through the Practical Dev Twitter account, um, where he was sort of poking fun at the daily lives of being a programmer, but you know, just also wanting to have a more inclusive space. And so we started working on uh, Dev2 together. That is such a sad state of affairs that you have to create a <laughs> fake account to get help with programming questions. <laughs> but that being said, dev.to is thriving. Like we see just so much goodness coming out of that community. You actually called out the importance of being extra friendly for new folks. What do you, why do you think that is important? Why do you think that extra nice uh, approach to explaining things and making sure that folks don't feel alienated is uh, good? Because Arguably, if you talk to any other community founder, they say, no, we enforce, you know, strict moderation policies because we want our content to be high quality. We want to make sure that if, you know, we got the Google juice and the SEO that people can find the exact answer to their problem. And you, again, take a very radically different approach in a good way. Why was that key? I mean, I think part of it was like just scratching our own itch and, and what we what we needed and wanted to see. Um Repeat questions are totally valid and answers can constantly evolve, especially in engineering when there's like a million different ways to answer a question. So I don't, I never fully understood like why a repeated question would get shut down because there's just, just like no, new ways to, to respond. I think it's important to be extra friendly because it lowers the barrier for contribution and for people to join that conversation. If we couldn't create an environment where people could be part of the conversation, we're going to see a lot more of what we currently have demographic-wise. For early career developers, they're really coming from all different walks of life. And to help people feel like they can actually thrive here, I think that's just a prerequisite nowadays um, is to yeah just make it more make coding a lot more accessible and make the community make everyone feel like they can belong there and that's actually one of our company values um, so it's not just like how we think about communities for software but communities across the board and how how we treat our team too that is a wonderful approach to this because you're so right in the take on repeat questions because technology has evolved something that was asked in 2012 <laughs> It's probably, you know, the solution from 2012 is not maybe as applicable in 2021. So just yeah, because it's exactly. the same question, yeah, why not Why not ask it again and give a better answer or a different answer? Yeah, um, and it even, like, gives somebody else the opportunity to respond to. And, like, that could be really valuable for that individual as well. So I know it's like, you know, people are like, it's annoying. But it's like, I mean, is it? Like, how, how annoying is that? <laughs> right, right. And to me personally, it's never annoying because you get perspectives and you get takes on somebody decided to implement it in a different way, maybe using a different library or using a different code path. And that's fine. You can uncover completely new solutions. And I like your approach to taking the friendly route because I know for myself and my own experience that it was very intimidating to post on any kind of forum exactly yeah. because of the idea that, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe my idea is not the valid idea. And having somebody say in a friendly manner of, hey, maybe you should consider X, Y, and Z instead of what you're doing right now could be a better approach, would work much more helpful than just lock my question and say, not valid, duplicate. And it's just, yeah, I, I like your approach to post fostering the community. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll just share this one thing that, um, that, that Ben shares sometimes, but um, I know he had this one experience where he actually asked, I believe he asked the question on Stack Overflow and then like said, thank you to somebody. <laughs> and that comment like got downvoted or was against the rules because it wasn't like productive, you know, like by saying th like, thank you in advance, I think was some, like a comment that he had left on it. Um, but that just like goes to show like how, how tough it can get, you know, if you are overly strict with your rules I think the and most... like not considering the nuances. Yeah. Right. The most recent example to that was a post from somebody who's an expert in WebGL. And they essentially said that they're quitting Stack Overflow because uh, their comments got deleted and their comments were essentially, hey, I wrote a whole blog post on this topic, check it out here. And that got deleted because it's not helpful. And to me as a developer, I'd say that's 100% helpful 
Because I yeah. want to read the blog post if I need to elaborate on a question, why is that being deleted? But this overzealous quest for perfection and every bit and following to the letter, it's not healthy. And that's why it's so great to see your, your take on fostering community. Yeah, and I think part of that is the relationship that they've built with their moderators as well. There needs to be check, checks and balances in, in how you approach moderation. Um, and yeah, I mean, like for our moderators, you know, we, we keep things like pretty loose and it's it's a lot more like values driven than it is like strict rules. And we have places for our mods to like really talk to each other and and connect with someone on our team to to discuss the things that are in the gray area. But you know, Stackwolf has been around for a really long time. They've been an amazing resource for people. Um, and I know that they're, you know, they've been evolving to try and address a lot of these issues. For the MVP or the minimum viable product for your community, you know, in startup land, there's this mantra of always start with an MVP. Build what customers want, test it. You mentioned that there was the Twitter account kind of preceded the community. Was that your MVP? And if so, how did it actually indicate you that, you know, something like this is necessary? Or how did you validate the typical startup hypotheses? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd say that that's arguably our what our MVP was. And, you know, Ben drove much of that during that time since he had started that account. Um, but it wasn't, and maybe Ben would say something different, but, you know, I don't think it was so deliberate at first, but it was more like testing the waters to understand and, and purely out of just our des like desire to connect with other developers who shared similar thoughts and feelings as us in terms of wanting to create, you know, this positive this positive dialogue and also just to be able to sort of introspectively make fun of programming. Um, by amassing sort of like the following and engagement he did, he realized like, oh, like there really, like there needs to be like a home for these type of conversations. Um, Twitter can be so um, ephemeral, it just kind of disappears. And if you missed it, you missed it. And so I think if we were to really look at uh, that very proving of the hypothesis, I'd say Twitter was a start. Um, then there, there, I don't think we like had an MVP drawn out for Dev2 itself. Um, once we decided, you know, what we were building, there a, a few things became obvious that like we needed to to make it work. Building a community from scratch is hard as anyone that has ever maintained a forum, a mailing list, a Slack channel, a Discord group. What were the most important lessons that you've learned building Dev2 from scratch? Because it's hard to build awareness. It's hard to build trust with folks and saying, you can come here and get your questions answered. You can come here and write your blog post and get good feedback. What was your, uh, and without getting into probably any of the secrets, but the secret sauce for kind of figuring this out? Well, I think the secret is what we we're just talking about is is having that Twitter account. So, you know, it, building it, like the, the whole concept, like build it and they will come is just like totally not reality. Um, but because we had this um, sort of way of amplifying for folks, because, you know, we had tens of thousands of followers at that point, like, you know, we could encourage folks to post on dev, and then we would be sharing that content through social. And I think that gave um, authors more visibility, you know, on places like Medium, where your Twitter account is like, pretty connected with your medium account so it's like if you're really famous on twitter you can probably be famous on medium um and for us you know it wasn't it was about like you know elevating just quality content and that could be coming from somebody who's not twitter famous and so um having that account to help amplify other people's content i think was was a big key to our success there but you know i have memories of just like reaching out to people like one of the first things we built was um, to be able to consume an rss feed so people can cross post a lot more easily and like maintain their canonical url um so you know one of like you know we were doing like lots of manual outreach like hey like check out dev like you have great articles like do you want to post on dev <laughs> and like so like you know that there was definitely that phase of the business um but it's great that you're asking this question because right now as we're um supporting other creators um, other community builders to build their forums um and as we you know we just launched a code newbie forum as well we're sort of in many ways like back to square one back to figuring out like oh like what is this playbook for um supporting a community ensuring it's a place that is actually useful for the for the community that we are targeting um and so we're kind of 
you know, applying some of what we learned through dev, but also learning new ways to engage and add value to different communities. And so the key part to also community building is creating this healthy atmosphere where folks don't feel like there's a lot of pressure on them, where they feel like they can speak their mind within reasonable boundaries. Uh, what's your take on fostering that community? Because you're going to have moderators, you can enforce the rules yourselves, but over time, it needs to scale somehow, right? It's, it's probably hard to do it when you serve a global audience because you have folks that are coming from all over the globe that I'm sure are active all hours of the day, not just you know the 12 hours whenever we're on East Coast or West Coast time. What, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, you know, I think a lot of it is leading by example. Like any of the content um, or initiatives that we put out, um, we really like stand by our code of conduct. Um, we try to make things as approachable as possible um but yeah not only do we you know like not only do we stand by our code of conduct and like uh you know apply the code of conduct to ourselves but um we really enforce it too and so you know we're not afraid to ban people who are crossing the line and we're we're pretty strict about what that what that means um and we take like each case like pretty seriously there's a there's a very human element of of moderation for us that isn't just um, automated through through our systems. Which I feel like is the easy way out for a lot of folks of saying, oh, I'll just put the spam filter, will block everything. But there's so much that's kind of in this, it's in between where it's like, it needs human attention. And it's yeah. great that you're still having human attention on these issues and it's not just auto ban or just completely kind of spam blocked and says, hey, I just shared a link to my blog. This is not spam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, it's not just he, like human intervention. I think it's like ensuring that there's someone at the company who cares about it. Like we have, you know, we're not just like farming out our moderation to, um, you know, like a third party, because I feel like, I mean, so many platforms do that and they lose that connection with, uh, with the company itself. And then, and then they're falling into that situation where it's just like a flow chart of like, yes, no, do this, do that. And, um, there's no one there to like sort of step in and talk about the gray areas. Dev2 is also used not only by folks like myself and my peers, but also by companies. So we've seen posts coming from Microsoft Azure, Amazon Web Services. Did you expect this when you bootstrap this community that it's not going to be only a forum for folks that are early in their career, that are learning, or maybe even veteran folks that are sharing their insights, but also companies? Yeah, I'd say this is definitely one of those plan for opportunism moments. Um, we were definitely, you know, reaching out and thinking more about individuals, uh, individual bloggers. But a lot of those folks happen to be developer advocates who work at larger companies and realized that, you know, what we were doing and how we were growing as a community. And then um, it just became really quite natural to start supporting these organization accounts. Um, it also like was a natural, like, we actually had organization accounts like quite early, but we didn't. We've never actually done any like pushes for orgs to create accounts, but we had created that originally just so we could have our organization account and, um, you know, have posts under the org as as just like dev staff. Um, and uh, that proved to be useful for some of these companies that are looking to reach developers and have valuable content to share. And it's one of those things where I feel like companies go where developers are. And in this case, developers are uh, on Dev2. And this is where it feels the natural place to discover relevant information. And to me, myself, I found myself in a lot of situations where I'm researching a topic and then I land on Dev2 and I start just scrolling through the blog posts that are available. And, oh, there's also this and this. And a community member posted this and there's somebody from this company posted this and adds this multi-tiered approach of, I want to say, adding almost like legitimacy to the content where I know that it's trustworthy because mm -hmm. I see people saying, and then I see a company saying this and it kind of supports right. each other. Yeah, well, that's that's awesome to hear. <laughs> so the system that is powering Dev2 is foreign. And mm -hmm. uh, it's one of those things that I, I find it fascinating that there's a whole separate open source project that was built entirely for this. So again, you took a non-traditional approach to this because any other community that has started today or a lot of them would take the easy way hey we'll start a slack group or and we'll start inviting people and we'll put like a type form in front of it and put your email we'll invite you 
or a new Discord, or somebody's gonna be using a board like PHPVB or VBulletin, uh, back from the days when VBulletin was that jam. And Love you it. built your own, <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell us more about this project. Tell us more about Forum. Yeah, so what you're describing is actually one of like the primary reasons people switched to Forum um, because Slack couldn't scale for them. You know, Slack is just for synchronous communication, especially if you have a big community, like talking 10,000 people plus and Slack has all these pricing tiers, like it becomes immediately unsustainable for you if you are just doing this as, you know, a hobby or a side project. Um, so so Forum is, is a place for for communities to connect in a in a less synchronous way in a in a way where that information can be sh like shared throughout um i feel like i kind of got lost on your original question because i got excited when you were talking about like v bulletin and slack <laughs> um but the bulletin uh, was great <laughs> yeah um yeah so forum like the name itself is sort of like a throwback to that concept of a forum uh so we're spelled f-o-r-e-m um for a while, uh, you know, like for us, like that means it's for empowering thoughtful connection. Um, oh, and the open source part, that's that's what you had asked originally. So yeah, that definitely uh, was not a traditional route. Um, so we kind of always knew we wanted to open source, um, mostly because we believed in the power of open source. Um, and it was just a matter of when. So we open sourced Dev in summer of 2018. And so that was just like, you know, all the dev stuff was still hard coded in there. It was very, very specific to the developer community and, and the needs we had there. Um, and essentially since then, I guess, for the past two or so years, we've been working on generalizing the app so that, you know, all the dev specific things are pulled out and that you can use that to self-host your own community. Um, and then for us, our offering is a hosted solution so that you don't have to jump through the hosts, uh, the hoops of self-hosting. You know, open sourcing has been such a such a game changer. Um, I truly believe open source code blossoms and closed source decays. We have over, I think, 550 people who have contributed to the code base. Um, just it's great to have so many eyes on on our code, um, you know, just helping helping us look out for things. But also, it's enabled people to be creative and like make contributions um, to different features. And I actually see a lot more opportunity for that once we have more support for the different APIs and like you know ability to um, create different plugins for forums. You know that if you're doing you know a forum in a totally different industry where you might want like video support or something like that you know like I think there's there's just like a lot that that can be created uh, because we are open source in startup world founders are often hesitant to open source their project because then you're kind of you're giving away well what I referred to earlier is the secret sauce because yeah. now everyone can grab your code modify it tweak it slightly bootstrap their own community, or they can take your code and pretty much create a competitor, or maybe they'll fork your project and they'll be slightly different, but now you have somebody that's essentially competing with you based on the work that you've created. What's your take on that? Because it's not, I'm sure it's not an easy decision. Yeah, so, I mean, right now we, we're, we're actually very encouraging of people who want to self-host. We ask them to like reach out to us and collaborate with us. Um, it helps us learn about, you know, issues that they run into. We, we want it to be, like, you know, pretty seamless for people to be able to do that on their own. Um, and it's not, you know, in a sense that gives us this automatic free tier, which is kind of nice to offer. Um, and then uh, I think it's fair to assume that most of the world, most of the community creators, builders out there are not going to be developers. And even if they are, and like we have some, we actually have some companies that work with us. So like New Relic just launched um, the Relicans, which is um, how they are um, you know, supporting and communicating with their community. Um, and even, you know, a big company like that with plenty of developer resources um, that they're also not self-hosting, you know? So it's like self-hosting is a great option for people who have like the time and resources and knowledge to do that. But the vast majority of folks would rather pay for the hosted version, which is what we have to offer them. So, you know, I think that's, that's just how we're approaching like you know working through what it means to be an open source company but also you know like we hold the product vision so if someone were to you know take our code tweak it a little bit they don't you know 
know what we have up our sleeves for the next few years and how we're approaching this. And they don't have like the experience of getting to where we are now. And so I'm sure, you know, like people can try, but, you know, I'm not too worried about it because, you know, we we've been fostering our community and I think trust in our brand and what we've been doing for a long time. And um, I, I really believe that that'll carry us along. You're focusing on delivering value first to your customers, and that is the most important component of this. And everything else just naturally comes with it, which makes sense. You know, if customers love your product, they'll always go to your product. If customers know that they can trust your work, they can trust how you're approaching their feedback, that's all that matters. You know, we're, we're talking about the roadmap and uh, putting things together. And actually, uh, you know, on your point of self-host versus hosting, I just, it took me back to the days of the bulletin again when I thought I would be clever and host my own forum and then realize just how hard it is to self-host and yeah. patch things <laughs> and make sure that you get, you know, your traffic of a hundred concurrent users all of a sudden takes down the server. Uh, it's hard. Self-hosting yeah. is definitely a challenge. Yeah, ex exactly. Um, that's, that, yeah, that's exactly right. It really is not an easy task and really takes somebody who's very, very committed to make that work and you know we commend them for doing so and want to learn from them and and like what they run into uh, while they do that and especially when it comes to scale i'm sure you know if you're running a community of a hundred people that part is easy when you get into yeah. thousands and you need to have a cdn and now all of a sudden you need to make yep. sure that you have load balancers <laughs> in front. like it's it just becomes very very hard to manage but i'm curious about the roadmap and you mentioned that you kind of hold the keys to the roadmap, to the vision for the product. And given that it's an open source product, there exists that duality of, because it's open source, folks kind of expect to say, hey, I can do a feature request. I'll just go to GitHub issues, open a niche and say, hey, I want this community to have, like you said, video support or maybe embedding from Vimeo. How do you balance that between what you and your team knows it needs to happen so because you have your vision you're executing on it versus what the community is asking for because it's a very active github project i've seen it and there's a lot of issues there's a lot of asks how do you balance that out yeah so um we have a um open source community manager christina gorton who um really has her ears to the ground um as to what the community is asking for and what they need and so um, she works with our engineering team to articulate and advocate for the community. Um, so, you know, as always, like a PR that fixes a bug is always going to be easier to get through than a PR that's like a brand new feature request um, that maybe they didn't even make the request and just created that <laughs> that PR. Um, so it's it's sort of about communication. Um, you know, we, we try and be clear that like not everything's going to get through. Um, like we really appreciate your time. Like we don't want to waste your time. Um, so that, you know, like that's, that's just sort of how we manage the, the community. But um, on the sort of product roadmap front, that's actually something we've been putting a lot of work into these past few uh, weeks and months. Um, you know, I think we, we've grown quite a bit and we were, uh, er, like in the early days, it was easy to not really have a product roadmap because it was like pretty obvious what areas needed contributions and we we're kind of able to say yes to a lot of things. But now that the um, now that the platform is so much more mature, we need to be a lot more deliberate. Um, so right now we're actually, you know, really trying to figure out like what is the best way to make decisions through like and through our product roadmap. And yeah, we're doing, we're just doing a lot of product work right now to help enable our team to, you know, not just see the um, 30,000 mile view of things, but to get that like, you know, 500 foot view of where things are going. Um, and that's something that we actually hope to share with the community soon too, to like really bridge that um, expectation setting with the community. Um, so people will understand more, you know, if we're saying like, hey, like we're not gonna take this feature right now. And then they have a place to really see like, you know, like what, like what are we prioritizing? So that's something we really need to get better at and something that we're currently working on. It's hard to say no. It's one of those arts <laughs> yeah. of product management where I've seen it firsthand when, especially in an open source project where there's a, that little bit of almost, I don't want to call it entitlement because it's too harsh of a word, but more of it's open source. This means I can tell them to do whatever I want for my scenario. And oftentimes you figure out that 
what this person is asking is actually serving you know one person that's it and saying no without yeah. destroying the trust and saying we still value your feedback we still want you to continue giving us the feedback it's just this particular item is not on our roadmap it's not yeah. yet something that we want to do it's a bit of an art it, it definitely <laughs> is um and you know it always gets more complicated when you say yes to something but then like as someone is implementing you discover like all the other stuff that comes along with it. So that small, that small little project becomes so much bigger. And then you're like, oh, like my resource allocation, like is, and you kind of go back to the drawing board and, and then some heartburn gets created. And yeah, it's, that's sort of like the beauty of making software. <laughs> right. Saying yes often has more ramifications than just saying no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so with running a large community, running a startup, you're doing so many things. How do you balance everything in your life and work? Uh, what's your approach to recharging and refreshing and coming to work excited? Yeah, for me personally, I have achieved so much more work-life balance now that we're like a 40-person company than when we were like a 15-person company. I think early on, um, you sort of, I think I've come to learn that I can't be sprinting the entire time and that this is truly a marathon. Um, and so like breaks are allowed and you need to like drink water and eat snacks along the way. Because like, I, yeah, early on, it was like Slack was on all the time of constantly available um and then as you start burning out on that you're like oh like that's actually um uh, it's like diminishing returns right now um and so it's interesting like as you transition to having more people on your team like for me personally i've learned to like delegate a lot more and essentially just like trust in in the team and the people around me supporting supporting everything that's going on and so yeah it's it's funny because like now i feel like i have work-life balance and it's and it's something we want you know, everyone on our team to also have. And so um, I actually tried really hard, like not to be on Slack or doing work, at least not like visibly. Um, uh, so that we're leading by example, they're like, um, me, Ben, Peter, like I'll try really hard. Like if we're, if we say we're offline to like actually be offline, um, because otherwise you're setting that precedent that it's a, like that you should be working if you're traveling that day and and you shouldn't so that's something that um we're all working on and, and i think that ben and peter's work-life balance have also improved in the last few years too um so yeah it's kind of counterintuitive it's interesting because it kind of dovetails some of the things that uh, another guest on our podcast mayuko inoue mentioned uh a couple of weeks ago around the hustle culture and how there's often this concept of you can only succeed as a startup if you're hustling, you know, 24-7, no weekends, no breaks, just push at it. And here you are showing us that you can build an amazing thing without working 24-7 and still having time for things in your life that are important. Because work is a part of it, but it's not everything. Yeah, I mean, it's so important to reset. Um, otherwise, you're just not thinking clearly and you end up like operating on like exhaust fumes and emotions. And that's not helpful for any like yourself or anyone around you. And you can only go on fumes for so long before it starts yeah. backfiring, <laughs> causing more issues. Yeah. What would be your advice to someone that looks at you as an inspiration and thinks that I want to follow in those career footsteps? What should they do? Well, <laughs> since I didn't follow a certain path, I guess I'd go back to what I was saying earlier, which is plan for opportunism, you know, sort of take it one step at a time, but be really open-minded about what the opportunities are. Um, because if you're not open-minded about them, you're just not going to see any of the opportunities or you won't inter interpret them as such. So yeah, keep a, keep an open mind and uh, stay curious. This is wonderful advice. And I know we're getting to the top of the hour and I want to ask you about the two podcasts that you have coming up. So tell us more about those projects. <laughs> Yeah, so Dev, um, the Dev community, we put out two, um, we have two original shows. One is called Dev Discuss, and that is um, similar to this. It's an interview format, but um, it's with me and my co-founder, Ben, and we just cover, you know, uh, topics across software. So we have, we'll have episodes on like Vim um, or, you know, like anything like related to your career. So like career transitioning, um, just sort of the whole gamut that might interest uh, developers. And then we also have a show called Dev News and that covers uh, just 
things are happening in the industry. And it's it's really quite fun. And that's hosted by Saran Yipbarik, who is also the co-host of the Code Newbie podcast, which is also in our family of podcasts. Um, and then Josh Pitts, who is a principal engineer at Forum. Um, and that show is, is just so much fun there. I, I, I like love that show more than Dev Discuss, but only because I'm like critical on myself sometimes. Um, but um, yeah, Dev News is a really fantastic way to keep up with the, with the news and the industry. Right after this recording, I'm hitting subscribe on literally all of them uh, because I, I love podcasts. <laughs> and to me, you know, discovering new shows, this, this was an unexpected surprise to today's show. And we'll include links in the show notes so the folks can uh, go there and subscribe in their favorite podcasting app. Uh, so and another thing that I want to ask you about is there's an initiative that you're driving that's called Nevertheless She Coded that's coming up. Tell us more about what it is. Yeah, so um, Nevertheless She Coded is something we came up with five years ago. So this will be our fifth celebration where we just celebrate women who code. Um, and it's a day. Uh, so International Women's Day is March 8th. And so um, starting in March, we encourage women to share their stories and how, you know, their coding journeys, how they how they got into coding. They share their advice for other women. Um, we also have allies share um, how they, you know, plan to support women. And so, yeah, so on March 8th, we'll be amplifying stories from women who code just, you know, all across the Internet so that we can just inspire more women to join this industry. Jess, where can people find you online if they want to follow you? Where should they go? Yeah, so um, if you're a developer, you can follow me on dev2, dev.to slash Jess. Um, or you can follow me on Twitter uh, at JessLeeNYC. Wonderful. Well, Jess, it's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much for coming on our show. And I hope that we get to chat with you sometime again in the future once uh, Forum becomes a multi-million dollar company <laughs> with millions of customers. Uh, it's going to be so exciting to learn from you. Would love to. And yeah, thank you so much for having me today. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, Jess. Bye, Dan.